Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 361 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I am happy to provide you a special Saturday episode of the podcast today. Uh, today's interview is a conversation I had with Holly Throsby. Uh, Holly's new book, Cedar Valley, was chosen as the Together We Read uh, National Book Club for Australia and New Zealand. Um, so this is similar to our Big Library Read program if you're new. Uh, which means that from August 8th through August 22nd, you can borrow the ebook of Cedar Valley by Holly Throsby uh, without any wait lists or holds from participating Australia, uh, Australian and New Zealand uh, libraries. So uh, there will be a discussion board if you go to togetherweread.com and then pick Australia New Zealand. You'll be able to have conversations with people uh, all around your territory that are also reading this book at the same time. Uh, we had a really, really fun conversation. Uh, Holly is not only an award-winning author, but she is also a very well-known singer and songwriter, which is what I knew her uh, as before I had a chance to have a conversation with her about her book. Um, we had some really great conversations about the difference between songwriting and writing uh, books and all sorts of really great stuff about uh, the fun trope to write about uh, a stranger coming into a town, especially a small town where... Uh, kind of everyone knows everyone else's business and also having a setting about a small town where everyone assumes that they know everything else that's going on in each other's lives but everyone also has a, a few secrets up their sleeves as well so a really great conversation uh, I think you'll very much enjoy it if you are a fan of kind of singer songwriter sort of like folksy music and you are not familiar with Holly Throsby definitely check out her solo music and also her band Seeker Lover Keeper which also happens to have an album coming out in the very near future. So lots of really good stuff from Holly. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. There you'll find links to subscribe to our podcast, but you'll also find our Twitter and Instagram, which is at ProBookNerds. You can also join our Viber community, which is uh, a reading community where we talk about books and all sorts of fun stuff there. So uh, if you enjoy this episode, I hope you'll go into iTunes or wherever it is that you're listening and give us a quick five-star rating. It takes one second and it helps people find us a little bit easier, so it's uh, we very much appreciate it. Okay, that's about everything for this particular episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Holly Throsby on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everybody, it's Adam, and I am very excited today to be talking to Holly Throsby, whose title, Cedar Valley, was selected as the Together We Read Australia and New Zealand, uh, kind of sort of a big library read version, but only for those particular countries, for people who are familiar with our big library read program. So what that means is from August 8th to the 22nd, if you are in Australia or New Zealand, go to your library's Overdrive website or the website or they're the library in Libby, and you'll be able to download Cedar Valley without any wait lists or holds. It will be the first thing you see on their Libby page or on their library page. Go download it, read it, and then check out togetherweread.com. You're gonna be able to uh, join the discussion board and have all sorts of fun there. So there's a discussion, uh, there's a discussion questions, there's a discussion board, there's a letter from Holly herself, and right now we're going to talk to Holly a little bit about the book. So first off, Holly, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. 
And so we always like to start our podcast by having our authors give a little bit of a background on the title. So can you introduce our listeners to Cedar Valley? Yeah, sure. Um, Cedar Valley is um, it's my second novel, and it's a book about a, a young girl called Benny Miller who arrives in the town of Cedar Valley uh, in 1993 to find out information about her mother who has recently died. Um, and on the same day that she arrives in the town, uh, a strange man dressed in a vintage suit sits down in front of the antique store. Um, and then due to some unexpected events, he uh, becomes the subject of some fascination for the people in the town. Um so yeah, I kind of see it in a way. I mean, it's a kind of like a mystery story, but it's two mystery stories that weave in and out of each other. Well, and I have to say something that I really love. You, you mentioned it being mystery stories that weave in and out. You also kind of weave in some nonfiction unsolved mysteries as well in this. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a um, there's a real life sort of famous or infamous Australian unsolved mystery that is actually not particularly well known these days because it happened in the late 1940s in Adelaide. People who are alive and know well at the time remember it, but people of younger generations, including mine, often haven't heard of it unless they're a real crime and mystery buff. Um, But I have heard it reported in the States, you know, on kind of great unsolved mysteries of the world type shows. Um, (laughs) It's a fascinating case known as um, The Summerton Man in which a man in a suit was found dead on the beach in Glenelg, which is a suburb of Adelaide. But then due to some extremely bizarre kind of circumstances and clues that they found um, in and nearby, it's become like somewhat of a kind of spy uh, spy mystery <laughs> because of some kind of code and Persian poetry and all this kind of crazy stuff that sounds almost too kind of good to be true. But for people who are interested in kind of weird crime um it's definitely something you can get lost on the internet um researching just sort of fall down those wikipedia rabbit holes as it you can you can fall down a very very deep wikipedia rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) so what made you want to put in sort of those those true crime aspects to your fictional story well, when I wrote my first novel, Goodwood, which is set in a very similar universe, it's actually a town near Cedar Valley, and there are some kind of very subtle links between the two books, um, I did incorporate briefly a real-life um, kind of horrendous set of serial killings that were happening um, in New South Wales and being cut, uncovered in New South Wales in the early 1990s, where that book was set. And I really enjoyed... Um, I guess blurring that kind of reality because Goodwood is so clearly a kind of fictional world um, but I kind of enjoyed bringing in the real world in a case that I knew that Australians would really recognise and with Cedar Valley I guess I enjoyed doing that so much in Goodwood that I kind of wanted to bring it up to a a different level and have that be quite a crucial element of this story Um, and I also wanted to pick something that wasn't horrible like um, (laughs) You know the the serial killing cases in in that are that are referred to in Goodwood. Uh, I just you know they scared the crap out of me when I was a teenager. <laughs> they scared everybody, and it's one of Australia's most sort of darkest crimes. Whereas the Summerton man, although of course a man died, um, and I certainly don't forget that, but the the case itself is is much more noted for its bizarreness 
Egypt, which is something I really wanted for Cedar Valley because the book itself, the tone of the book is certainly, um, I guess it's just got a slightly odd angle to it and I wanted to find some humour in it and I wanted to kind of explore the various reactions that people might have to something like that happening in their own town. So you, you started off with an extremely dark serial killer book and then you've got sort of a slightly less dark one. But in like four or five books now, you're going to have a rom-com, I think. I hope so. I'm just getting my way there. <laughs> um, that's not to say, I mean, Goodwood, I mean, I consider Goodwood to be quite a comedy. Um, it has a lot of dark areas, but the whole tone of the book is certainly not, it's certainly not a serial killer book. But, it, you know, I just, I guess I wanted something that I could sort of play with in terms of people's responses to it, like characters' responses. And I was quite inspired for both books by the television show Northern Exposure, the Mm -hmm. American television show. Um, And there's actually an episode of Northern Exposure where Dr. Fleischman has a patient that he goes out to his waiting room and the patient has died before kind of being able to come in and be seen. And nobody knows who he is. And so there was some there was some inspiration in that particular episode of Northern Exposure that I watched when I was a teenager as well. Oh man, that is awesome. Something that I, I really, really love about what you're, you're writing is you talk about the fact that you have these small town settings and I'm a really big fan. There's, a, there's an American author, uh, Wendell Berry, who I've been like obsessed with over the past few months and he I like Wendell Berry I've got some of his agrarian essays yeah and so it's probably weird to bring up Wendell Berry when talking about kind of like you know murder mystery type stories because he very rarely would have something like that in his uh his stories about you know farming and, and his small towns but something that I always love about the small town that he created and and the stories that he tells is it creates this kind of like evocative but warm setting where there's everyone's so intertwined like what is it for you that you love writing about these small towns i was gonna say i can there there goes one of mine that's right look i've got i've got a dog in both books and i've got one in the back of the car so i i'm sitting in right now so i could certainly appreciate um your fondness for dogs um yeah look i mean uh, I actually I came to Wendell Berry, in fact, only recently, so after I'd written the books. But a, another American author that I found influential was Kent Haruf, who, mm-hmm. who's written, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, it might be Haruf, I'm not sure, but mm. um, he's written a bunch of books that are all set in the fictional town of Holt, Colorado. And he, it's a similar kind of, I guess it's a, it could be a similar tone, it's very gentle and warm. Um, much like I found Elizabeth Strout in her second book around the Lucy Barton character, mm. the one, I think it's called Anything is Possible, where she goes to the town that she's mentioned before. And I liked, I liked the, firstly, the small town setting in those books, but also how they linked one book to another. So as a reader, it's kind of like an extra dimension that you get, an extra reward you get for kind of being in this universe for an extended period of time. It's kind of like a spin-off, you know, like when... <laughs> um, when Angel kind of had his own show and Buffy would kind of go and visit LA and then Angel would come back to Sunnydale. You know, as a viewer, these things really (laughs) heighten the fan experience. Um, But I I guess for me, small towns are just a really wonderful microcosm of human interaction. And you get this assumed, um, as you say, um, assumed idea of, of the connections that are already present. So you sort of don't need to go so much into explaining that. Um, this assumed kind of intimacy between characters and I was really mainly in both books interested in human relationships and psychology so it's a really wonderful way to be able to explore those dynamics 
especially in Cedar Valley, which is a book, you know, it's, they're both set pre, pre-technology in a lot of ways in terms of uh, mobile phones and the internet. So I, a lot of the, the whole book is really propelled by face-to-face interaction between characters. Um, and I guess the this, this small town thing, you get a lot of humour out of that. I mean, I'm sure that the same kind of thing exists in America, but there's a set, there's a particular tone of humour that you get in regional Australia in terms of expression and the way people relate to each other, which I personally find incredibly charming. Um, so I, there's a lot of reasons why I feel like it's a really lovely place to set fiction. I want to stick to the small town thing in just a second, but you may be the first person to ever connect Wendell Berry to Buffy and Angel. So <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. I was just like, hold on, let's let's circle back. I think there might be maybe one of the the smaller Wendell Berry stories has a vampire in it that we just don't notice. Well, there you go. You know, it's always six <laughs> degrees to Buffy. <laughs> the, <laughs> um, I, I'll, something you, know, you kind of mentioned about the connectivity when you use small towns you get the chance to kind of feel like not only do you as a reader you feel like you know everyone but you also kind of assume that everyone else knows everything about everyone else but what I really love is that you have the ability to also peek into these individual lives and see the kind of untold things that they're not sharing with the rest of the the community yeah, and I feel like that's that's a wonderful thing about fiction, isn't it? That in that kind of interiority that you are exposed to, that other mediums have trouble with. I mean, with film, we can always assume what a character might be thinking in an introspective moment, but it is it, it is kind of exciting as an author that with fiction we can actually explain that in words. Um, and I was interested in having, you know, there's some characters in this book that I think in the initial um, introduction of those characters, when we meet them, we might kind of have certain assumptions of them as we do in real life with people we, we might have just briefly met. But then the more you go into every person, the more dimensionality there is. Um, you know, like, you know, what Whitman, we all contain multitudes kind of <laughs> sense. I, I was interested in in having, you know, an array of characters that everybody in the book felt different about that particular person and that particular person feels quite differently about everybody else and, and, and might be one thing for one person and one thing for another, which is just real life, but it's interesting to kind of go into that and, and um, explore how that might work in, in that particular community. You, you know, in Goodwood, um, the character Jean, has, her grandmother says that the town has a high density of acquaintanceship and I think that when you... <laughs> assume that then you can kind of hit the ground running in terms of how those acquaintance acquaintances might work uh you mentioned you know the whole walt whitman you know we all contain multitudes idea is that along those same lines is that kind of is that why you write or wrote this story at least in uh multiple points of view so that you can kind of add multiple dimensions to your story yeah, I, I think so. When I was writing Goodwood, I wrote that in the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was really wanted for this to have a little bit more scope for um, perspective. And so, yeah, the story is told in kind of close third person, but you do get the three perspectives. You get Benny Miller, the girl, the 21-year-old woman who arrives, and then you get Cora Franks, who owns the antique store that the man sits down in front of. Um and then you get constable. I'm oh, sorry, Detective Sergeant Tony Simmons, who is a constable in the um, in Goodwood, and he's sort of he's promoted by the time I wrote Cedar Valley takes place. Um, 
he is a policeman that becomes because there's a kind of crimey mystery involved in this story. There, there's a police procedural sort of element, which is basically like a kind of low key Australian comedy, really. <laughs> um, but I enjoyed having those three perspectives. There was it was just a random choice as the story unfolded that those three were the people that sort of get to tell the story, I guess, in their own movements. Um, but. Yeah, I, I did enjoy being able to every chapter switch to a different, uh, a different perspective. Well, and also I think there's something um, kind of—it's almost like a subgenre of stories about these towns where everyone knows everyone, and then in you know introducing complete unknown strangers. I feel like it's something that's kind of equal parts romantic and, and dangerous almost. Um, and I, is that something that you have always been interested in as well? Oh, well, that's certainly, you know, it's, a well, it's certainly a well-known trope, you know, the stranger rides into the small town. It's a kind of, I feel like, I could, to me, it's like an American Western kind mm-hmm. of trope. Um, and I liked it so much that I had two strangers arrive on the same day. Um, <laughs> I guess in some ways I, was, I did enjoy playing around with the kind of expectations of genre because I've done, you know, I do literary um, festivals and talk about these books and I'm often put on crime, crime fiction panels, which I find... Are kind of delightful because is there even a crime in any of these books <laughs> is a good question um but i did enjoy this the setup of crime fiction and, and mystery fiction because i like to read that you know like if i'm catching a long flight and want to pass the time uh with a kind of guilty pleasure read then i don't go to romantic comedy i generally go for crime um and so i'm used to the kind of mechanics of that genre and I enjoyed kind of using that, but in the same way, the books that I hold so close to my heart are incredibly small stories that have almost no plot and are all about human relationships and psychology. So I guess I was combining my two loves in both of these books. Well, I think it also lends to creating a story that's a, a page turner and keeps people wanting to keep going chapter after chapter by combining those two, those two things of, uh, you know, like having a, a plot that, keeps you guessing and, and drives the story forward but at the same time having these interwoven relationships like I I feel like adding those two things together can only help from a kind of wanting people to be able to devour the book quickly I hope so and I'm always I'm always interested in what it is that keeps people reading you know like in a lot of ways yes crime fiction tends to you know they, they're known as sort of page turners but you know, you read a book like Normal People by Sally Rooney. I don't know if you've read that book. Mm, That's yes. an Irish book. Um, and I, I was just so astounded when I read both of her books at how much she gets out of nothing in a lot of ways. I mean, <laughs> Normal People is just a, it's just a relationship between two people. And you just, I was just dying to know the whole time, even though I think you know that you're never going to, it's never going to be like a fireworks situation. <laughs> and it's just going to be this, life you know but I guess I do find that interesting what keeps people turning the pages and I think a lot of the time like in Cedar Valley for example a lot of readers have told me that it wasn't the crimey element but it was more Benny that kept them reading Mm. like what happens to Benny and who is she and I kind of love that that that's that is something that readers want to know and that they want to keep reading for Uh, So I I told you this before we started recording, but when I found out that we were going to have a conversation, I got really excited because, as I told you, I've known your name for a long time because your music is played quite frequently in my household. And so people (laughs) maybe recognize your name during this program, you know, especially if they're in 
uh, you know, Australia and New Zealand. But I'm, I'm curious for you, do you feel there's a connection or any similarity between being a singer and songwriter, you know, kind of the songwriting and the novel writing aspects of your life? Uh, I see them quite distinctly as a process because they're very different. The way they kind of work is very different for me personally. I found novel writing to be the most sort of intensive work I had done, whereas as a songwriter I felt that I, I you know, it's, it's, a, it's a craft that I was able to always dip in and out of. And when I, was, when I had a lot of songs on the go or when I had a particular song on the go, it was completely all-consuming. But at the same time, it was nothing like the depth or breadth of writing a novel. Um, and also, I guess the whole idea of having a blank page is very different for songwriters who are used to being constrained by melody and phrasing. So it was really liberating on the one hand to begin with a blank page in fiction and not have a beat, you know, and not have a <laughs> melody. But at the same time, terrifying because then you think, God, I've got a blank page. Like, what is worth saying? So I felt like the whole thing felt like a very distinct process, although that feeling of, I guess it's what they call flow, you know, that feeling mm. of being in a creative flow state is the same with both and, you know, one of the most pleasurable feelings, I think, for any creative person. I would imagine, and this is coming from a person who is completely in the dark when it comes to creating songs, so forgive me if I am way off base, but... Um, it, it feels like to me, you know, in all the, the shows and all the conversations I've had with people who who are songwriters and, and singers and put their own music together, like when people will talk about the flow for writing, it's it's not the, the editing process. It's more of the, you know, getting those words down on the page initially and, and saying like, oh, wow, I was able to write two or three or even, you know, 5,000 words today, whatever it is. I was really in this in this mode. It, does that kind of feel similar to when you're like you know mixing a track with with the producer and like adding layers in there i guess it just like because it's such a different amount of words i'm, I'm curious if you feel any like similarities between the two processes i would feel similar in terms of writing the song and when a melody comes out and then the, and all of a sudden a chorus comes out that feels like it goes really well with the verse mm. or you all of a sudden the you know, songwriting, much like poetry, it's sort of because you've got a structure there, you've got a, that's sort of instructed by the melody and by the, stru the song structure. Um, sometimes you just need a couple of lines to make it all work and when those lines come, that, that's sort of similar to that feeling of when you can, well, all of a sudden you're, you've written a thousand words and you didn't even realise a novel. <laughs> um, I feel like the editing process, that's more like being in the studio because by the time you're in the studio and recording the songs are already written so it's very much more like editing um because you, you might perform the song for the recording but then all the arrangements and production elements it's a lot more kind of thinking critical brain as opposed to that kind of flow brain <laughs> um and so yeah those two things um there i mean there's certainly similarities but i i think um the intensity of novel writing and the way that you, that it lives with you for so long and the way that you consider constructing fiction and character and place. I always have a sense of all those things with songs, but it's just not as big. <laughs> it's just like, it's a brief form and it's a lot more about a kind of feeling tone for me. I don't really have any, I feel like people who listen to music, they certainly have no expectation in terms of what you need to give them lyrically. You don't need to give them a beginning and a middle and an end. You can give them just a fragment. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas, you know, readers of novels, 
I've discovered, have extremely strong expectations, and <laughs> as do I as a reader. You know, like fiction, you have a real stake in fiction, I think, as a reader, because you go along for that ride. Um, and there's certain conventions, I think, that and requirements to that genre, which, um, out of respect to readers, I think, need to kind of be adhered to. I, I imagine it's also interesting, because, you know, I think of... You know, books can affect my my mood and, and how I feel, but it often I have to really be like in one of those reading modes is where I'm not picking up ten pages at a time. I'm it's it's more so when I'm sitting there for an hour or two hours just completely engrossed in a book, it can affect me. Whereas songs, you know, I can listen to uh, you know, a mix of songs and I can listen, you know, to Airplane by by you and want to cry within three minutes. And then two minutes later, I can be listening to, you know, a Janis Joplin song and be angry. And like, it just like does these things back to back to back. Like, I imagine like there's this subtle emotion. So I'm curious as a, as a person who creates both of those art forms, like, do you feel yourself putting your own emotions into your writing as much as into your, your music? Yeah, I do. It's just, um, I do because with with songs like a song like Aeroplane for example like I you feel that so strongly when you're writing a song like that like I feel the melody gives me like a I get this I tingle on my skin you know like mm-hmm. you feel it in a very bodily sense but in the same way there's a couple of passages in Cedar Valley where I was just crying when I was writing them <laughs> because I was so involved like I just I, I'm a very sensitive person I think and I, I remember my mum told me when I was a kid I drew a picture of a monster that was so scary that I got scared and ran away (laughs) and sometimes I feel like I almost do that a lot with creative work like something sometimes feels so intense for me I've written a new song that I haven't recorded or released or anything but it kills me to sing it and to play it I I it's like very cathartic and I cry a lot and it's now I'm kind of saying to be able to feel it because you kind of go through that and then you can perform it every and it doesn't have the same effect because you kind of have gone through that but I certainly do have a very similar emotional response to writing fiction. Well, having listening, having listened to so much of your music over the over the years, if you'd have told me that you weren't an emotional person, I would have been like, "How does she separate herself?" So that makes me feel better. <laughs> but you know, I do know some songwriters that do come across very aloof and do find the songwriting as that outlet for emotions in a way that they might in their they might not in their mm. kind of everyday life it's it is an interesting thing to behold yeah <laughs> um so towards the end of our podcast we like to ask uh nine light-hearted questions that we call the nerd nine because i like sure. i like alliteration um so the first one is what is the last book you finished reading um that's a good question. What was I? You know, when people ask you these questions, my mind always goes completely blank. Oh yeah, I get yelled at all the time. Book I finished reading was Milkman by Anna Burns, which just won the Man Booker Prize, mm-hmm. uh, and it was quite. It was very challenging, but I really liked it. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, I like to read in my living room in the comfy chair. <laughs> um, do you remember the book that kind of made you fall in love with reading as a kid? Um, no, I don't feel like I remember a specific book, but I do remember I read this book by an Australian author called Paul Jennings, who's a really popular kind of young, like children's and young adult author. Mm. And the book had a scene where a cow fell off a bridge or jumped off a bridge. Oh. And I was, I remember like 
sobbing and I remember having this first very emotional response to reading and I'm still like I'm a massive crier in books it doesn't take much for me um so I do remember that as being kind of a formative reading memory um do you have a place that you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to yes I really want to go to Greece and the Greek islands um do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate a favorite holiday like you mean like a um, yeah, you know, so like, that's kind of a, like, I know that's like kind of you would celebrate Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a, not the best example, but yeah, like Christmas or <laughs> Halloween or yeah. I suppose. Um, Australia is kind of a bit different in terms of holidays. We don't. I mean, we don't go there so much as the, the Americans. I don't think. Um, my favorite holiday to celebrate would always be a non-holiday when there was no one else there and you get the place to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfectly fair. Um, <laughs> Are you a coffee person or a tea person? I'm both. I'm very much both. Um, I'm coffee. In, I'm coffee in the morning. Um, every morning, like I can't not have a coffee in the morning. But then it's tea later in the day, whether that be like green or peppermint or chai. It's um, both. Okay. Um, I'm guessing I know the answer since you told me what you're doing right now. But cats or dogs? Uh, dogs, a hundred percent. I don't understand cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want, you, I want you to know that while we were talking, the one who was barking up a storm found a way to get into the room I'm in, and he is now laying next to me very angry. Oh, he's, I, mu- he's much happier then. Oh, yeah. he's Well, he's more so looking at me angrily, like, why did you shut me out of this room? But he'll get over <laughs> it. Um, do you have a favorite food? Um, I really like Italian food. I've always liked it. So, like, a pasta is just definitely a very comforting place for me. <laughs> and then, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you pick? Oh, that's such a hard question. How can you have a question like that? I know. I need to start telling people this ahead of time because everyone's always mad about it. Um, oh, that's so hard. But, you know, I really like politics and I would love to meet Barack Obama. So I don't know why. He's just someone that I've read his books and I feel like he'd be a great conversationalist. He really liked music as well. That's perfect. Um, okay, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading Cedar Valley? Um... I find that those kinds of questions really hard. I mean, I don't know. I, it's sort of even hard to say. I hope you people enjoy it. I mean, of course, I hope they enjoy it. I hope that they come to the end of it and feel like they want to think and talk about it more. I think that's absolutely perfect. Holly, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.